I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter number 2. We've been looking at this passage of Scripture for the last few weeks and we'll be concluding today this short series I've called The Christ of Christmas. And I want to kind of review today in our text by beginning in verse number 1 of Philippians chapter 2 and we'll read down through verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to guide us into the truth as we look into the Word of God and we seek for a glimpse of the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see it. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us something that we need to know today, that you would change us to make us more like Christ, that you would be glorified from our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many of the Christmas carols that we sing mention the angel's glorious announcement of Christ's birth. And it's true that Never has a birth in history been announced with as much heavenly majesty as the Lord Jesus Christ. But I kind of have to be a little bit of a wet blanket today. The scripture does not say that the angels actually sang the night Christ was born. I'm sorry. It says they said, glory to God in the highest. Now, did they say it with a melodic tune? Maybe so. I like to imagine that they sang it. But whether they sang it or whether they said it, it was still the most glorious announcement of a birth in all of human history. When we think about that scene, it's become such a popular part of Christmas imagery and our Christmas carols. Hark the herald, angels sing and, uh, and the like. But really, even as glorious as that was, it's just a shadow of the glory that will one day be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. When 
Jesus was born, there were actually only a few people in all the world that knew about it. Of course, Mary and Joseph knew about it that evening. The shepherds were told by the angels, and they went and saw, and then they shared the news with some others. The wise men saw Jesus' birth announcement in the sky, and they came from afar, and then they worshipped Christ. Eventually, it was told to King Herod, and, and so you kind of had a few people, and from there it began to spread around. But it was not a universal announcement. It was actually just a relatively small number of people who knew about Jesus' birth. He had a very humble birth. He had a very humble life. And he died a very humiliating death. And here in Philippians chapter 2, this is what Paul uses, the humility of Christ to encourage you and I to humble ourselves to one another. And as we've, we've gone through this passage here and we've seen the attributes of Christ that are mentioned, we saw first of all His deity. It says that He was in the form of God. That means that He is God through and through and He had every right to enjoy the privileges that were rightfully His as God. We saw the humanity of Christ, that even though He is God, He took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And this is a mystery that, that we will never fully comprehend here on earth, but Jesus Christ became 100% man without ceasing to be 100% God. That is the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. And because Jesus became man, He experienced the entire range of human experience, and ultimately then He died for our sins. So we saw His deity, His humanity... And then we saw His humility last week. His humility was displayed not only in how He came from heaven to earth and gave up all of that, but He was born into a very humble home and lived a very humble and modest existence. Jesus did not come and live on earth like a wealthy person or a powerful person or a political leader. He came, born into a carpenter's home, lived in relative obscurity for most of his life. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus was about 30 years old before he ever really was publicly recognized in any way. And even then, it was someone else who introduced him. It was John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God, that which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus did not put himself forward, as it were, but he accepted only the recognition which the Father wanted him to have. He lived a humble life. He had a humble birth and then he died a very humiliating death. He humbled himself and became, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. An execution on a cross is probably one of the most horrific deaths that has ever been invented by mankind. Just, just agonizing and torturous in every facet and shameful. And as Jesus hung on the cross, we... We, we see in Scripture how that even then people were mocking Him, people were laughing at Him and trying to shame Him. But Jesus lived the life of humility for others. He did that for you and for me. And even as He hung on the cross, He was thinking about others as He looked down at people who were mocking Him and gambling over His clothes and He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was our Savior. That is how he acted when he was here on this earth. It was a life of humility. All of this is history. We read about it in Scripture. 
And even today we celebrate the history of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 years ago now is when Jesus was born. But this morning, I want to talk to you for a minute about what is coming in the future. Verses 9 through 11 give us a glimpse into something that is going to happen at some point in the future, I believe in the near future. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will be exalted above everything. A day in which everyone who has ever lived or ever will live will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. Even if they refuse to acknowledge it in their lifetime, they will acknowledge the, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we think about this message on this Christmas day, I think the truth is very simple. Either we can choose to bow before Christ now, like the shepherds, like the wise men. We can give Him the honor and the glory that He deserves now. Or we can wait until that point in the future when we must do it and we have no choice. But it is far better for us to choose to bow the knee and give Christ the honor that He deserves now. We will bow. But it's better to humble ourselves before Christ, to receive Him as our Savior, and then to live for His glory. Look at some of the key phrases in this passage with me. First of all, verse 9 begins by saying, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him. Now that little word, wherefore, is summarizing everything that's been said in the previous verses. That is based upon the, the humility of Christ. Because He humbled Himself took upon Himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and He became obedient unto death. Because He did that, God also hath highly exalted Him. Now here Paul is reminding us of a universal spiritual principle. And that is this, when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. When we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Luke 4, 14, 11, Jesus said, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Luke 18, 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. You see, as part of the encouragement to you and to me to live humbly, we are reminded here that Jesus' humility ultimately resulted in His majesty, His glorification. The Lord Jesus Christ humbled Himself, but the Father has now exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. It is human nature for us to try and exalt ourselves, is it not? We, we want other people to think highly of us. If you're honest, you'll admit that this morning. Nobody in here wants other people to look down on them. You don't want other people to think poorly of you. 
That's part of our human nature, to want to exalt ourselves. The problem is it's sinful to exalt ourselves. That's pride. Pride was the sin that resulted in Satan being kicked out of heaven. And that is the the root of so many, if not all, of our sin is really pride. The desire to want to exalt ourselves ultimately to exalt ourselves even above God. That's what's in our sinful nature. We're naturally prideful and with that then we are naturally impatient. We want to be exalted and we want it now. We don't want to wait till later. We don't want to uh, 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 go through a period of humiliation and then later be exalted. No, we want to be exalted now and skip the whole humiliation phase. We want praise now. We want admiration now. But listen again to this verse from 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. In whose time? Yours or mine? No, God's. That God would exalt us in His time. It takes a lot of spiritual maturity to humble yourself and wait for God to exalt you in His time. And truly, you to be a spiritually mature person, you have to be content to live in obscurity, even like our Savior did, for as long as as God says, you need to. There are so many illustrations of this and that we could talk about in Scripture, but really Christ is the ultimate example of it. So wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him. What does this exalting look like? Well, the end of verse number 9, notice that last phrase in the verse, and given Him a name which is above every name. Here is how God has exalted Jesus. The Father has exalted Jesus. He has exalted Him by giving Him a superior name. A name which is above every name. Now what is a name? Just in a generic sense. A name is simply the way that you identify yourself to someone else. When you meet someone for the first time, what's usually one of the first pieces of information you find out about them? Their name, right? If you don't even know their name, you can't, say, be, you can't really say that you know that person at all. So a name is simply something that we use to identify ourselves, but it takes on even more meaning eventually. Shakespeare famously said, what is in a name for a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Well, That may sound good in one of Shakespeare's plays, but the reality is our names are very important because our names come uh, come to, to represent something. For example, we have an expression. uh, If someone maybe has broken their word and there's someone you can't trust anymore, you might say, his name is what? Mud. His name is Mud. You ever heard that expression before? Now, are we saying that he literally, if you look at his driver's license, it says Mudsmith there? Probably not. But figuratively, you understand that, that his, his word is worthless. And so we use that, that expression that his name is Mud because they can't be trusted. You begin to associate the character of a person with their name. 
Have you ever known someone who was maybe very disagreeable or maybe someone in your past that just made life miserable for you? Now, are you thinking about that person? Are you thinking about that person's name? Let me ask you this. You had that experience in this person in the past. They made your life miserable. That name now is probably not on your list of top ten favorite names. Let's just say, for example, um, you when you were in in uh, elementary school, you were bullied by a man or a boy named Kevin. All right. Let's just say you were bullied by a Kevin. I don't I don't think there are any Kevins in here. Are there any Kevins? No Kevins. All right. So we're good. All right. So in, in fifth grade, this, this boy Kevin used to push you around on the, uh, on the playground. He used to steal your lunch money. He used to just make your life miserable. How likely would you have been when you grew up and had your first son to name him Kevin? Probably not going to do it. They're like, oh yeah, I remember Kevin. He made my life miserable for all of fifth grade. I'm going to name my son. And you don't do that. Now, is there anything wrong with the name Kevin? That combination of letters, the sound, the etymology of it, you look it up, the meaning, there's nothing technically wrong with it, but in your mind there's an association, you see. So when we talk about Jesus having a name that is superior above all other names, we're not simply talking about the sound of His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about the beauty of its spelling or any other thing like that. We're talking about the association that comes when you and I hear the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is above every other name. His name is superior. Why is it superior? Well, first of all, because it is the name of ultimate authority. One thing a a name represents is authority. It's like when you write a check, if you are still one of those people who writes checks. You write the check out and you sign your name on it. What does that represent? You have the authority to transfer these funds from from your account to this other person's account. So the name of Christ is the name of authority. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. His name is superior because it's the name of ultimate authority. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse number 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Paul is referencing here the superiority of Christ and Christ's name. It is above all principalities, all powers, all might, all dominion, every other name, not only in this world, but in the world to come. It is the name of ultimate authority. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to His disciples, All power is given unto Me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word power is the word for authority. Jesus Christ has ultimate authority. You can have no greater 
appeal to authority than to say, Jesus said so. That's the ultimate authority. His name is the name of ultimate authority. But then, number two, His name is the name of unique salvation. His name is the name of unique salvation. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You and I cannot be saved in the name of Buddha. We are not saved in the name of Muhammad. We are not saved in the name of Joseph Smith. There is no other name but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that will save us. It's the name of unique salvation. Only in Jesus' name because He, again, has the power and the authority to save us. Only Jesus gave His life on the cross for you and for me. Only Jesus was buried and rose again so that we might be saved. Many people believe that Jesus existed. Many people believe that He taught a lot of good things. Many people even believe that it would be a good idea to follow His teaching. But few people truly believe how exclusive faith in Christ really is. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is only through Jesus that we are saved. I've said this before, but the gospel is simultaneously the most inclusive and exclusive message in all the world. It is the most inclusive message because the gospel is whosoever will, let him come. But it's the most exclusive because we can only come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way. His name is the superior name because it is the name of unique salvation. And then number three, His name is superior because His name is the name of universal glory. His name is the name of universal glory. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. In verse number 10, it says that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is coming a day in which this verse will be perfectly fulfilled. A day when at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who has lived or ever will live, will bow and confess that He is Lord. Notice the details of here, what, of what it's saying here. First of all, it's universal here. Every, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Did you know that there is coming a day when the atheist will bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord? There's coming a day when the agnostic will bow the knee and will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is coming a day when the Muslim, when the Hindu, when the Buddhist, when the Catholic, when the Mormon, when the Jehovah's Witness, and will the Baptist 
who lived their whole life going to a Bible-preaching church but never trusted Christ as their Savior, they will all finally bow their knee and acknowledge that He is Lord. It's, it's universal. Every knee. It says of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Folks, that covers everything. I mean, think about the, the, the world we exist in. The space we exist in. You have things on the earth. That's you and me right now. We're on the earth. You have things above the earth. That's everything that way, all the way around. And things under the earth. That's everything below us. It's literally everything, everywhere. And I believe that this is referring to the fact that all of creation will give glory to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's universal here. Notice the two actions. It says, first of all, that every knee should bow. What does the bowing of the knee represent? In this context, it represents a display of honor. It's a physical act that demonstrates a spirit of great respect. Go back in your mind, if you will, to the days when kings and queens ruled all over the earth. And if you were coming before the king or the queen, the, the ruler of your land, how did you show respect to them? Often it was by some form of bowing. And in that physical act, you place yourself lower than the one to whom you are paying your respects, giving your reverence. It's a physical display of humility and recognizing how much greater they are than you. Every knee should bow, and then it says every tongue will confess. The word confess means to agree with. There's going to come a day where everyone will verbally agree with the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what every tongue will confess. It says every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What is significant about this statement? Because, I mean, we, we use the phrase the Lord Jesus Christ all the time, but let's break it down. If someone says Jesus Christ is Lord, what are they saying? Well, the word or the name Jesus is literally, literally would translate Jehovah saves. That was the name the angels gave to both Mary and Joseph and said, you're going to name this boy Jesus because God will save His people from their sins. Jehovah saves. What does the name Christ mean? It is the New Testament equivalent of the term Messiah from the Old Testament. It literally means the anointed one. And it was a name that referenced God in the flesh coming to save His people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us, was another name ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, Jehovah saves. Christ, the anointed one. Jesus Christ, what? Is Lord. What does Lord mean? It means master, ultimate ruler. And there's going to come a day where everyone will confess that Jesus is God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all. And somebody might say, well, I don't believe that. I don't acknowledge that. I don't confess that. Friend, you may not confess it now, but there will come a day when you will. Every tongue will confess. 
It's sad but true that not everyone acknowledges this truth about Jesus. Some reject the truth that He's God who came in the flesh to die for our sins, to be buried and rise again. They don't believe it. It's almost... Well, it's just curious to me that in our culture that is so far removed from God now, that Christmas is still such a big deal. Now, intellectually, I know why it's a big deal. Because they make a lot of money on it. I forget the exact numbers, but I think it's somewhere around a third of all retail sales takes place between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's a huge moneymaker. So yeah, they're going to keep Christmas around, but, but you know that increasingly Christmas has been secularized. God has been taken out of it. There are plenty of people who don't mind decorating and giving gifts and putting up a tree just so long as you keep God out of it. They don't acknowledge the real truth about Christmas. Songs have been written about the spirit of Christmas. And it makes people feel all warm and fuzzy inside to think about Christmas and associate all the memories, happy memories from their childhood and the like. But sadly, not many people today are going to stop and actually spend one second thinking about the fact that today is the day we celebrate when God became man. That's what the birth of Christ was all about. And sadly, there are many people who reject that truth. They do not acknowledge that Jesus is the anointed one, the Lord of all the universe. But there's coming a day when all of creation and everyone for all time will acknowledge it. When is this going to happen? Well, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. When will everyone acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord? Well, if you're answering that question based on the timeline of history, we would go to Scripture and we say it's going to happen in the future as Christ comes to usher in His millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 19 Verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written, which no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our Savior. And there's coming a day when everybody's going to see him and they're going to acknowledge him as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. So in the timeline of history, this event in which all of creation will acknowledge who Christ is is sometime in the future. But the good news is we don't have to wait for then because there's also the timeline of your life. And in the timeline of your life, you can choose now to acknowledge 
who Christ is. You can bow your knee to Him now. You can confess with your tongue that He is Christ and Lord. But know this, that if you refuse to acknowledge Him now, you will acknowledge Him later. But then it won't be by choice. Then your opportunity to accept Him willingly will have passed and your eternal destination will be already decided. But you will acknowledge Him. One final phrase in our text from verse number 11 of Philippians 2. It says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here the, the whole truth comes, comes around to what God's plan has been all along. The exaltation of the Son results in the glorification of the Father. We talk a lot about glorifying God and doing everything for the glory of God. And scripturally, God's overarching purpose is to show us how great He is. Be honest, sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? Because we think of it from a human standpoint and we think, well, that sounds selfish. That sounds egotistical. That God is, you know, only concerned about telling us how great He is and making Himself look good and, and everything. But when we think of it that way, we're really missing the whole point. It's not about God trying to build His brand or boost His ego or somehow, you know, prop up His image. God is great regardless of whether we acknowledge it or not. But glorifying God is really about you and I having a proper view, a proper perspective on God. Having a proper view of God is necessary if we're going to live a life that is fulfilling, that is satisfying. And we only have a proper view of God when we see Him as the greatest that there is. God working all things so that He ultimately receives the glory for it, is not selfish. Because in doing that, you and I receive the greatest blessings. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God is worthy of our glory. And when we recognize how wonderful, how awesome, and how glorious God is, then we can have a proper view on life. Then we can have a proper perspective on everything else. If your view of God is wrong, then your view of everything else in life is going to be wrong. When we see God as He really is, then you, we can see ourselves as we really are. We can see our world for what it really is. And finally, can we live in true reality instead of living in an imaginary world of our own creation? To the glory of God the Father. Everything else comes in proper focus when we see how glorious God is.
If our view of God is wrong, nothing else in life will make sense. If our view of God is wrong, nothing else in life will make sense. Only by having a right view of God can we begin, even begin to put the pieces together, to begin to understand what life is really all about. That doesn't mean that when we finally understand that God is great, we'll finally understand everything else. It just means that once we see how great God is, now we can start understanding. But we can't even start if we don't have a right view of God. Nothing else will line up if our perspective on God is out of line. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the majesty, the glory of the Christ of Christmas. This last Thursday, my family and I had the privilege of going to the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra and watching Handel's Messiah. We had a fabulous time. We literally had the farthest seat back that you could get. Top balcony against the back wall, and we loved it because my wife said, nobody's behind me kicking my chair. <laughs> and it was, it was so amazing. I've, I, I've heard the Messiah in person, but it's been many, many years, and never in a setting like that with a professional orchestra and, and, the, and the choir and everything. It was, just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. That piece, Handel's Messiah, was written by Handel over 250 years ago. They say that he wrote it, the music for it, he wrote the music for it in just 24 days. The text of that is all Scripture verses. Those were given to him by a friend, suggesting that he put it to music. And so it's all just Bible verses. I I was remarking to the kids as we were there that it was just neat to me as a preacher to be sitting in this auditorium, it seats over 1,700 and it was almost full. So, well, probably close to 1,500 people that came and they sat for this, this, this concert and what they were hearing was the Bible, Scripture. Now, I know that many of them probably didn't come because they wanted to hear the Bible. They just wanted to come to hear the beautiful music and be a part of the, uh, you know, the tradition of Christmas time. But here, here they are listening to the Word of God. The Bible says that God's Word is not going to return void. You may be aware that there is a tradition that's connected with the Messiah, and one song in particular, the Hallelujah Chorus. It's said that when the Messiah premiered, King George II was in attendance, and when that song was sung, which, by the way, it's about two-thirds of the way through, so about two hours into the entire thing, we didn't get to hear the whole thing. They only did part one that evening. But they ended that night with the Hallelujah Chorus. And the first time that this, this Messiah was done, King George II stood to his feet as they sang the Hallelujah Chorus. And since it was considered proper etiquette to stand when the king stood, the entire theater stood for that song. And ever since then, it has become a tradition. And sure enough, as we were there on Thursday evening, they're finishing the program and the the, uh, the symphony, the orchestra begins to play and, and the chor- 
the choir begins to sing that wonderful hallelujah chorus and that entire auditorium stood. Everyone that, that I saw stood to their feet as the choir sang, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. They stood as they sang, King of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They stand, they stood as they sang, Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know how many of those people were Christians. I know from what I observed, there, there were many there who were not. In fact, on our way out, I overheard a conversation, a group of uh, some folks probably in their 20s or so, four or five of them, and I overheard one of the young ladies make a statement that she thought it was uh, too overtly religious. And one of, the, one of the guys said, well, you know, all the words were from Scripture. <laughs> I don't know how many people were Christians. I don't know how many people stood out of true respect for the message. I'm sure some of them just stood because they had been sitting for an hour. But as I thought about that scene, an auditorium, 1,500 people from all different backgrounds, all different nations of the world, some people there I'm sure that spoke different languages, but everybody is standing out of respect, at least for the music, right? And I thought to myself, this is just a peek into what it's going to be like one day when at the name of Jesus, everyone's not going to stand. Everyone's going to bow. And they will confess that He is Lord. And it's not going to be a thousand. It's not going to be a million. It will be everyone who has ever lived for all time. And so, on this Christmas day, may we exalt Christ for how He humbled Himself for us. May we confess that He is Lord. May we glorify the Father in His name. Our Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for our sin. Thank you, Lord, that he was born into a humble home, lived a humble life of service to others, ultimately sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins. And today, we just want to give you the glory. We just want to exalt you, Lord, and acknowledge that you are great, you are mighty, you are holy. We are so unworthy. And may the lives that we live give you the glory that you deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, there may be someone here today, I don't know, but you've never actually received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
You've never bowed your knee, as it were, to Him and confessed that He is the Savior and accepted Him. I don't know why you haven't done it. You've probably heard the message before, but for whatever reason, you've just chosen not to. This morning, I want to invite you to make a different choice. I want to invite you to bow right now to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept Him as your Savior. You don't need to recite a specific series of words in order to be saved because the Bible says that it is not an incantation or a nursery rhyme that saves you, but it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, you can confess that you are a sinner. You can call out to the Lord in faith and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you to do that if you've never trusted Him. But I know that many, many in here have. And you do understand what the meaning of Christmas really is. Today I want to invite you to give God the glory. When was the last time that you went to God in prayer and you simply glorified Him? You simply said, Lord, You are great. You are holy. You are all-powerful. You are all-loving, all-merciful, all-gracious. God, You are so great. When was the last time that you did that? Today, the best gift that you can give to the Lord is a gift of praise. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning as the piano begins to play? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do it now? We'd love to help you. If you would like for us to help you, by all means, make your way up to the front and let us, let us meet you and let us help you come to know for sure that Christ is your Savior. If you know Christ, I want to invite you to take some time right now to exalt Him. Maybe you want to come forward and pray up here at the front. Maybe you want to kneel right there at your seat or just bow your head and your heart before God. But let's exalt Christ. On this day that we celebrate His birth, His humiliation, let's also celebrate His majesty and His glorification. Heavenly Father, you are so great. And to think 
that you would love us so much to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, it's, it's hard, even for those of us who have known you and walked with you for many years, it's hard for us to fully understand. Lord, we believe it. And today we want to praise you for it. Lord, I pray that as we celebrate the birth of Christ, as we rejoice in the blessings that you've given to us, that we would have a definite sense of your glory and your majesty in our lives. May we live so that others would see in us how great you are. Thank you for the time that we have had to be together today. And I pray for your blessing upon every individual and every family represented here. That you would bless us, Lord, with a closer walk with you, a better understanding of your will, the strength to live a life of holiness, to resist the temptations of the devil. Lord, we pray for your protection on us, for your provision for us. And that, Lord, you'd be honored in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name.